Hello and welcome to the Forward Unto Dom podcast. I'm David and I'm joined by my usual co-host, Danny. Hi, Leo. For this episode, we are going to talk about Halo Envoy, which released a little bit ago, um, April 25th, 2017. Uh, and it was written by Tobias Buckel, uh, who is at this point uh, something of a Halo expanded universe veteran. Uh, he wrote Halo the Cold Protocol. He wrote Dirt in Halo Evolutions. He wrote the Halo Fractures short story Oasis we talked uh, two episodes about. I'll put a link to the show notes for that. And now he's written this, which is sort of a sequel to Oasis, though they don't actually tie into each other that much. They're just in the same setting and locality. But this is, for some people, uh, was pretty eagerly anticipated because it had it was the return of Grey Team, who we had not heard about since Halo the Cold Protocol, so it has been years, and as the Halo universe gets larger, the longer you have to wait for your minor characters to come back unless we kill them off, like Spartan Black. Spoiler alert, Grey Team doesn't die in this, uh, but it's a tale with, um, I would say, a lot of hooks into Halo's past and present and possibly future we'll see so what did you think danny overall impressions i'm i'm surprised great team didn't die considering uh considering the track record of returning spartan twos recently that was uh was a genuine shocker but um i don't know uh, an okay book it's not great i wasn't inspired there was some good things not some not so good things okay good things Start positive. Oh God, that's hard. Uh, I liked the uh, the politics, the brief politics, the uh, the interactions between the species. I think that was something uh, we've seen in other areas, in other books, in other stories. And I think, at least for the first half of the book, it's one of the, the shining points when you see the brutes, the elites, and the humans all interact in interesting ways. I wanted more, actually, of that. To be honest, if I had a boring book of just geopolitical stuff featuring aliens, I'd be happy enough. Halo of Cards. Hey, hey, don't knock it. I want this one. No, I I agree with you. Um, I would probably upset a lot of people by saying that my first impression after finishing the book was that this is sort of the, I wouldn't say spiritual successor, but it's in many ways taking up the slack of the Kilo 5 trilogy and that it focuses so much on the political side and the the wider geopolitical situation uh, in the Halo universe uh, post-Covenant War. Um, I, I agree. I really did like the political stuff because we rarely get books from non-military perspectives. And so we spend a lot of time with Governor Ellis um, of the colony Sakura, where, or, or sorry, of the uh, planet Karo, uh, where this book basically entirely takes place. And she's, uh, she has an interesting arc. It's a different person, really, to hang on. Uh, they actually have her, her right-hand man, I believe the vice governor, is sort of the old military veteran and in under normal circumstances, you kind of think that he would be the one uh, that you would have as the main character in this book. Uh, but he actually takes a back seat. Uh, and I think that's better for it because it gives the whole bit with the humans living on this planet where there are also elites and they're at the beginning in a sort of tenuous truce and then everything falls apart. We don't ever really get that. Uh, in any other media aside from oasis and halo fractures would set this up okay less positive things overall okay well let me just get this out of the way because this is my main book bear with the with the entire thing is the ancient space MacGuffin, forerunner ancient threat oh god they're going to wipe it all all they're going to kill us all and it's it's evil and it's ancient we must stop the MacGuffin. i'm sick off that tired, worn-out threat that they keep digging up in every feckin' book, in every storyline. It's uninspired. They keep doing it. Like, 
I don't care anymore. Like, they bring back something that was half mentioned in a Halo 2 um, special edition, we sing with Jigger, whatever. Yeah, I, I appreciate that. I appreciate them going to the past and digging up little small nuggets of Halo lore and bringing it to the forefront. That's great. But MacGuffin space threat ancient evil bullshit. It's like, come on. Like, we're not, like, don't, don't insult your audience like that again. And look, it's all, it's all resolved by the end of the book. How, how tidy. It's not going to impact any of the games. Wow. Well, I appreciate that it it gets wrapped up, but you're right that it does. I think you're right in that the story this begins as seems like it's going to be going in a much different direction, and then it turns into the standard. The Brutes in this instance, not the Covenant, but the Covenant have found ancient Forerunner artifacts, which we must inevitably destroy, thus returning everything to the status quo. God, that's such a shocking storyline, man. Like, I yeah. didn't see it coming. <laughs> and that has definitely been done to death. Um, I mean, that's basically the plot line of Halo 1, Halo Wars, uh, Helljumper, and variations thereof. So yeah, that was a bit disappointing. But in terms of deep lore cuts I never thought would happen... Uh, bringing back the Sharkoi, which is the aforementioned ancient evil, is probably one of the most unexpected things. Like, I did not see that coming at all. Um, everyone was sp- just guessing what was going on based on the unstoppable threat or however it's mentioned in the book jacket summary. And I don't think anyone mentioned that. Well, if you want if you want spoilers for future Hill stories, just look at Bungie's cutting room floor. Just look at anything they've done in the past and rejected or any anything you know what i mean you'll find it there because they seem really opposed to having unique creative ideas and bringing bringing their own ideas to the table they they love digging up a corpse well i think that the charcoal were something that was worth bringing back um if for people who don't know that they were originally a Halo enemy that got cut in Halo 1. They were going to appear in Halo 2, did not, and then were forgotten forever. And one of the specific, like, most random callbacks this book makes is to a single cut image from a lost Halo 2 cinematic of all the Covenant races with the Sharkoi sitting in there, which tickled my fancy. I really enjoyed that. (laughs) And I, I suppose as far as... If they impact things in the future, I guess now that they've introduced them, they could still do something with them. Uh, they mentioned that there were Sharkoi on High Charity at one point, um, and they could be elsewhere. Though you have to control them, which is what the MacGuffin uh, turns out to be in this. A, the um, They call it the Vertex at points, basically the thing that allows you to mentally control all the Sharkoi. Um, are your, is your issue with it? That they just that the Sharkoi were recycled, or just how they were used in this. I don't know. It, it's just it's not the first time we've had reject Halo One stuff or Halo Two stuff brought in as a thing. Remember the buying wall stuff? Yeah, it, it seems pandering, and 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 the first time when they bring it back something minor like that, yeah, that's kind of cool, kind of. But uh, you have a whole universe, like literally an entire universe. Of unopened, un, unspoiled possibilities, where you can literally tell any kind of is what we get, really. Well, to speak more to my thoughts, I am not. I'm also weird in that I am apparently totally against a lot of, or at least a vocal segment of the the Halo uh, story community. In that, if I could wipe a book from the face of the earth. Uh, it would be the Cole Protocol, or as everyone else would be like, <gasps> but not Travis? Um, I never, I never particularly liked... His style isn't my favorite, and the Cole Protocol, even though it delved into Lieutenant Keys and his early life, uh, and it had all this stuff about like setting up this rebellion and the Prophet of Truth, uh, and later we figured out a while after... <laughs> a really long time after the book that yes it was actually detailing the arbiter's rise to power uh Thelvadoms, but it really felt weirdly inconsequential mm. and i guess that's just partly it came out of time when 343 wasn't hadn't fully i guess committed itself to 
making everything tie together and span connect the universe a bit wider so it had to still be this this uh self-contained story but i guess it was one of those things where we knew of this shadowy gray team that was too far out to be recovered to be in operation red flag and halo the fall of reach and the story of what they were doing was not as interesting whereas this book actually sets up a more interesting story of what they were doing that i guess we'll get into you want to dive into sort of just going through the book beat by beat do i want to do i want to relive it no i really really don't want to relive this book the book isn't something i'd be like mm, favorite halo memory anytime soon but we're going to anyway as the focus gets softer and the heart play like i i'm not i'm not sure i liked great team at all in this book i didn't feel anything for them you know you're supposed to feel something whenever you're reading through these characters and i struggled to care what they about them as as people i didn't care for them as a team i don't think their team dynamics were particularly worthy these are spartan twos but mm, oh yeah they're also by the way like planetary skill murderers like that's also a thing well so that's another uh plot point from the past that comes in uh, we learn that Grey Team, uh, basically prior to the end of the war, and then at the end of the war, though no one knew it at the time, uh, they were basically sent deep undercover to use the Nova Bombs uh, from First Strike to wipe out a planet. And they succeed on destroying what I believe is called Glyke, possibly Gleek. This is the problem with reading the book as opposed to getting the audiobook because pronunciation gets weird. I believe Glyke. Yeah. Um, but they basically blow up a planet, and it's after the ceasefire has been signed. Um, so that was a bad idea. And you know, genocide's never a cool thing for your protagonists. Just <laughs> not exactly. But I think that was along with the political stuff. That was one of the more interesting parts of this book. Is that it had that moral dilemma of was it the right thing to do, even if even if the war hadn't been over was it right to basically turn into the covenant and indiscriminately blow up a planet just because you can um, i don't know i i felt the way it's approached in the book made all the halsey stuff from kilo five look nuanced well it definitely doesn't get explored well and i think i agree with you in that also kind of paralleling the kilo five trilogy i didn't it took me until the Thursday War to really figure out who the hell everyone was in Kilo 5. They were kind of just blurred together in my mind, and so do Grey Team. Yeah. Uh, even though they have this dynamic of, like, their team's kind of been broken, uh, and their faith in their cause and each other, because they did this horrible thing. And this is sort of re-knitting yeah. them back together. But I don't think they spend enough time selling that transformation back to a cohesive team whereas i would say everyone else every other main character gets a decent arc i don't think gray team ends up sticking the landing mm. Mm. i do think that though they didn't give the the topic probably enough detail i did really like that they played off it a little with the covenant uh because at one point they have uh, they did have uh the the main civilian character in this uh who's an envoy for well actually as it turns out it's supposed to be a civilian envoy actually turns out to be uh employed by oni uh, melody she gets a good line uh when the elites on caro who are all basically the refugees from like mentions how terrible that the UNSC could condone this, she points out, yeah, it's really terrible when you just have someone indiscriminately destroy a planet. Like, hmm, I wonder what that's similar to. Very subtle. Very, very subtle, yeah. Well, and that's the point, and it's something, it's nice to have one of the human characters in the universe kind of have the chance to say that and also have more of a moral authority to say it versus the UNSC who, as we learned, did kind of authorize this genocide and also like has Oni working in the shadows to kill the elites all the time. Um, 
So that was that was a refreshing perspective. It was nice to have someone finally call them out on that uh, as they're talking about it. Eh, I guess. I guess. You guess. No, I wouldn't. Uh, mm, mm. It's more of a case of people being caught up in these things and how it's not unique to the civilians of the of the of the UNSC essentially. No, I mean they're caught up in their government's actions. The colonists are caught up in usually in politics that uh, they have very little say in and you do find that uh, there's there's elites and other alien species similarly caught up in governmental and political bullshit that makes them uh, not particularly happy. Well and that's another um one thing I did see uh, some people complaining about with this is that it returns to um, Bakel is really the first person who delved into uh, elite culture. And as presented in the Cole Protocol, it's pretty, I would say, just space samurai. Uh, there's a lot of the Klingons in there as like the really hammering home the, the noble, uh, the noble death before dishonor kind of culture and some of that has i would say a fair amount has gotten toned down or walked back a little and so having it kind of come back uh with melody talking about how uh, oh well it'd be dishonorable for them to do this oh spilled blood is dishonorable etc cetera, etc cetera. i think some people were uneasy with i think it worked a lot better in this um because it is a contrast to what we've seen in um, Shadow of Intent elsewhere, uh, and even Halo 5 with the elites being forced to go through a change now that the Covenant is dissolved, uh, and everyone's finding their new role, which ties into the character arc for the main uh, Sanghealy in this book. I can see uh, uh, I can see a lot of people uh, being happy with that. There's a lot of people out there who like their elite culture um, <laughs> and elite characters and uh, there's definitely meat there for them I didn't I, that, I thought I thought it worked, it worked don't get me wrong um, but it wasn't anything special it was predictable of anything well it does it bothers me in so much as when it comes down to I don't like it when it makes the the elites look like idiots. I like it when it plays with when it's doing something for the human characters, when they feel smart as opposed to the elites being stupid. And I think oh we'll just start in. So the plot it starts in the middle of a battle uh with Melody the Envoy on board, uh the unwavering discipline, which is uh Rokja uh, his ship, and he's the elite, uh, the Kadon in charge of all the elites on Karo. Um, but he's being attacked by his backstabby friend Thars and a bunch of brutes. Uh, and so Melody, in a moment I really liked, basically gets to bluff weapons from the elites when she's actually going to go break out the Spartans she knows are in cryo storage on the ship. Uh, I really like that moment because it wasn't just ha ha ha. The elites are stupid and they weren't particularly acting stupid either. She was just knowing how to manipulate them into doing what she wanted. So I think in situations like that, it works a lot better versus when the elites are just by themselves and kind of acting like idiots. Do you know, do you know what I'm grateful for? And I, I, I didn't. I don't remember coming across it in the book. Maybe if I did, maybe I blanked it out. But there was no examples of. Well, the humans have a phrase. <laughs> I'm so grateful for the lack of that. Yes, they. They. I think they do a good job shading the elites without directly relating it to human stuff. They trust that uh, Buckel trusts us to to make the parallels on our own. So Velody gets shot, but she succeeds in springing the Spartans uh, from cryo storage, which is a great team. And the the bit I found totally hilariously bad 
uh, in this section uh, that I guess really only people who stopped and think about it or people who really love uh, Stephen Loftus's uh, scale charts would notice is there's no way you could fit three cryo tubes in a bumblebee escape pod. There's just no physical way to fit that. So the whole idea of great teams somehow getting scooped up by the elites that made no sense with ah uh, but it's a bumblebee escape pod variant mm. Mm, there's there's still no way it's long enough but there's no way in that crew bay even if you flipped out the seats to fit them it's just not it's happening. obviously being modified okay obviously <laughs> just something that personally bothered me even though i'm not one of those well naturally the the frigates classes shoot 20.3 diameter missiles anything like that but it stuck out to me but uh melody and the spartans basically bug out in the bumblebee uh before the unwavering discipline ends up crashing and then rakja basically or raj kai i should say uh ends up deciding he's going to chase after gray team because he really should have killed them before and also that's one of the other conceits you have to buy that he didn't kill the people he thinks uh destroyed his planet um, yeah, that wasn't particularly believable. It's, it's like, oh, oh, now I must kill him. Yeah, everything else about the character shows that he is very much the classic honor-bound elite. Like, I can see him waking him up to kill him or something like that, but I cannot see him just keeping him on storage for, I believe, I think they mentioned, but it's it's not that long, but it's at least a couple of weeks that they they have them before Oni finds out and don't do anything with, um, which seemed a little unbelievable. So you have to kind of buy that. Yep. I, yeah, it, it's minor. It didn't, it didn't affect the flow too much though. Yeah. So Rajka, well, his, his last name is Kassan, which is easier to remember. So I'll just call him from that. Uh, so they go to chase off the elites, or really off the Spartans, and the Spartans travel to an Oni outpost, uh, and there, this is where most of the character stuff happens. Uh, and as we said, we don't particularly think it worked uh, for a great team. I like the idea of Spartans having this break, and but it just did not work for me. Um, Maybe if I went back and reread the Cole Protocol, which I said I did not like, but I haven't read it in a while, maybe that would that would give me enough character beats to to. You should really go back it. and read the thing you didn't like. Yeah, well, that's... you never know. You have to reevaluate. Um, one of these days, I need to probably burn through all of them again to because some of them I haven't read since they came out. But they have. Just not think about the actual time involved in that. Then that's what happens when the Halo universe becomes a five billion dollar franchise. You gotta keep up on your reading. But while all this hunt from Moby Dick is going on, the more interesting plot is going on in the human city of Sakura, uh, and that's where all the political stuff comes in. Uh, you've got the Governor Ellis, Vice Governor Lamar, and a host of generals and such. Uh, you mentioned before we started the show that one of the failings of this book is they give you way too many names that don't matter, and that's definitely the to the detriment of some of these political scenes because there's all these generals and aides that don't come up ever again i'm looking forward to a single sentence reference to these people in seven years time <laughs> that's true there'll be more lore deep cuts it's the same thing actually with uh melodies on the the ship with a diplomatic core and they all die and I guess it makes sense that she wouldn't be alone, that there would be more human delegation, but it's totally irrelevant that they don't make it on. They give them names. They're mentioned a couple of times, but it's... What was the novella with one of their children seeking answers next year? Mm. <laughs> but the Sakura stuff, that's where all the politics comes in because uh, Thars has enlisted a brute uh, force to go basically be the muscle to help him take over and execute his former Kadon. Um, but the Brutes have other plans. Uh, Hakabe, or something like that, uh, ends up assaulting uh, Sakura directly. Can I just say that, despite the Brutes acting in typical backstabby fashion, 
the the fact that that was included, I actually quite like that. That was a slight disruption to my expectations, and that's a positive. So yeah, and at that point, I still didn't know it was going to turn into the forearm MacGuffin. So it was a nice bit of everyone's kind of backstabbing everyone else, and you aren't sure it's how it's going to work out. And also, I think one thing that this book did um, that usually is a problem for me is when readers or viewers or something learn a detail that your heroes don't know. If that happens too early and it's not well done, it comes off really annoying and you think the protagonists are stupid because obviously you, the reader, know what's going on yeah, and they don't. I, yeah, yeah. And this did a good job of even though the the humans and Sakura and Grey team, they're all on doing these things and they don't haven't linked up and they don't know about each other, et cetera, et cetera. I never felt like, oh, God, I can't wait the two chapters until they finally meet because this is really annoying. Like, I'm trying to skip to where everyone's on the same page. I think that was uh, pretty well done. Actually, now you mentioned that, yeah. Like, that does get you a wee bit in certain stories where you're waiting for, for everyone to circle the drain and finally make the plunge. Also, um, something I really liked is that they... They have the brutes land, and it's pretty quickly that they're looking for something as they entrench down. And they, almost immediately after we've learned a bit about uh, Governor Ellis, um, and she's she's the civilian governor, and uh, Lamar's the, the military guy, as we were talking about. But what's interesting, I think, about the relationship is that as the veteran, Lamar is the one who, throughout the book, is pushing, all right, let's cut and run, get as many civilians out. Whereas Ellis is saying, we can't get everyone out, there's not enough ships, like, we have to make our stand here and fight, which is a nice inversion of how you normally have, oh, the cowardly civilians don't know what it takes. Uh, and we learn that it's personal for Ellis because her son, Jeff, is fighting in the, the militia, and then it's pretty much a smash cut to Jeff getting wasted by brutes. <laughs> which was a nice subversion of my expectations. Like, oh, they're going to be, he's going to be captured or behind enemy lines and it's going to be teased out for the book. Then, like, maybe he'll get saved by the Spartans. Nope, he's dead. <laughs> Pretty quickly. Um, and that turns out to be a big driving force uh, for Ellis throughout the rest of the book. So I really appreciated that they didn't bother. You don't even really learn anything about Jeff except for that he really should have shut up and not tried to piss off the brutes. Eh. 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 I didn't care for that at all in any way. Why not? I don't know. <laughs> Search your feelings, Danny. <laughs> I have none on this. I was like, yeah, that, that, that's a plot point. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Pissing off a brute may not be the best idea, to be fair. Considering what well, they like rip people apart, it's like literally from limb to limb. Like, yeah, that yeah. was one of their key identifiers as giant alien monkeys that could do that. Okay, so we get to the heart of things uh, with what Hakabe is actually looking for, which is uh, the the Forerunner MacGuffin, a giant pit uh, into which. Uh, we find the deep lore cut of the Sharkoi are chilling around, basically left in stasis. Um, and we get a little detail that he was actually in the fleet that fled with truth through the portal to the Ark. Uh, and while he was there, he found some MacGuffin that, as little random foreign art relics are, leads him to this one. Uh, and he gets the Vertex, which is basically like the forerunner Cerebro uh, and allows him to control the Shorkoi. And so up above where everyone's like, yay, we beat the brutes, uh, then giant gray things with giant claws come out and kill everybody. The thing is with these forerunners, they, they happen to leave these doomsday weapons and doomsday scale devices and keys devices. They're very reckless with these like annihilation technologies and whatnot. So they just leave it lying around everywhere. Yeah, we'll get to my main issue with the Vertex in a bit, but um, one of the nice things I think about this is the Sharkoi aren't just another Covenant race we haven't seen. We learned that they were basically another 
failed uh, foreigner attempt to stop the flood with something that was immune to the flood. But I think the, the interesting wrinkle here is much like with the didact kind of composing people against their will to use them as uh, fighters. Uh, the Sharkoi were basically a, by all accounts, happy, peaceful race that they basically hijacked uh, for their own purposes, which is kind of dirty. And you get the sense that this failed like all their other plans because if they had been that much callous in regards to life from the get-go, they might have stopped things, but they waited too long and everything got worse. So if only the Forerunners were less moral than we them, they would have won. If they were even <laughs> bigger jerks, things might have worked out okay, but they weren't. <laughs> that's that's what I got out of it. Oh, God. I don't know. This is, I, I don't like... Every time we expand on Forerunner stuff, it's... I like them less every time. Well, I think you're supposed to like them less, but you're talking more about the whole concept of how they're used, not as people, right? Yes, yes, yeah. yes. I don't know. I, just, I see the value of getting wrinkles to them like they do here, but it is fair to say that you could also serve that use with the characters and factions you have in this book and... It's not like we, it's it's not like we're in need of factions and people and motivations, and and even even just the existing tech as is in the universe. Yeah, we have enough to create anything, any sort of story threads, any sort of threats, and there's some genuine motivations with some of the characters here. And it's like that's enough. Did you think? Do you think we have enough? Enough base materials without invoking the the old forerunners and their MacGuffins to like I, I, the, the forerunners just doesn't seem justified. It's like, well, it's Halo. How do you have forerunner crap in here? Oh man, like they did. We're leaving stuff just everywhere on planets. Like not leaving a map. It's, it's just yeah. This is another MacGuffin with a control device MacGuffin where it controls the death MacGuffin that is being fought over for MacGuffin reasons. Yeah, that's like really. Really, I would have killed for a political thriller or, you know what I mean? Any sort of thing using using any other aspect of the entire franchise. Yeah. Leave the MacGuffins for the games, damn it. Well, the MacGuffins happen whether you like it or not. Uh, and so the Sharkoi start overrunning everything. Um, and here we get another good little element uh, with Ellis and the, the government. They're like, all right, we've won. And no. Uh, but meanwhile, uh, Kassan has hunted down the Spartans. We get a mention of a Spectre, which is another Halo 2 deep cut, which I think, besides this book, have only appeared like in a frame of Escalations or something along those lines. Yeah. I missed them. Like, stupid Spectres were shot over, and then we got the... What did they replace it with in Reach? The stupid mini Wraith, which I hated. <laughs> Like, oh Spectre... god, that wee thing! Oh, yeah, I like, oh, the god. Spectre was so much better. Um, mm. And then all the people used it for super bounces and stuff, and getting out of the maps. So it was cool. The Spectre felt uh, like you were sort of like skiing almost. You had like, I love the slippy sort of slidey. Yeah, I liked it, and also not just because I've been using a lot on my Halo Two Legendary run for Master Chief Collection to skip encounters, but also I just like it. Yeah, apart from that, yeah. yeah. But they uh, and that that ties into one of the things I like about. Um, Basically, all the the aliens, well, even human stuff, is that this is a really, in the grand scheme of things, is a really small scale, inconsequential almost uh, battles on this backworld planet, which people only care about insofar as well. If something bad happens here and the elites and humans fight, it might spill over to places we actually care about. You'll never hear um, of this place ever again. By the way. Well, you never know. Well, there's plenty of planets out there we haven't heard back to in a while. But uh, the humans, like, only have a few ships. The brutes only have a few ships. The elites only have a few ships. And that's one of the things that Kassan gets real royally pissed about is because he was... Basically, they were scraping their way back from near Oblivion where they had no ships and means to repair them. And then one of his supposed friends basically decides no i'm gonna blow everything up and destroy our fleet um and so by the end 
they only have a few ships left. Kassan has gone to ground uh, and is hunting down the Spartans. They meet up at the uh, the Oni hidey hole where uh, Tharis continues to prove that he's a dumbass. Uh, but Kassan ends up deciding to ally with the Spartans he really, really hates because they learn that there's a super dangerous thing in the city of Sakura, and of course they arrive, but it's too late because the Sharkoi are overrunning everything. So the the Sakurans and the Spartans and uh, Ksan end up meeting, uh, and they all agree that they have to uh, stop the stop the Sharkoi, and so they decide that they're going to kill Hakabe, and so they snipe him in the head, which does not end the story, which I was conflicted about, and that it subverted my expectations versus it felt kind of like then they were stretching out the story. I can't disagree, to be honest. Like, it seemed like a conclusion. But surprise! And it also, I think the reason it mostly bothers me is that it leads into my second, like, I do not understand how this makes any sense plot hole, in that I don't understand why the Forerunners would make the Doomsday Weapon control vice controllable by people besides themselves and, I guess, Reclaimers, and smart enough to, like, keep the person alive and, like, stitch them together. That seems like it's starting to stretch believability, even for Forerunner stuff. Just a little bit convoluted, yeah. So they, they kill... Hakabe, but not really because the the vertex basically keeps him alive. And one thing I do like is that they have this sort of one ring to rule them all thing going on with the vertex in that it's it's not clear if it has like an AI or something in it, um, or it's just the group intelligence of the Sharkoi is sort of like a super intelligence of its own. Forerunner magic. Yeah, but it's it's interesting, and it gives, on one hand, I guess you can say that it kind of turns Hikabe from a character with goals to kind of a force of nature, and it kind of cheats him that way. On the other hand, I like that it wasn't what I was expecting. It doesn't, he doesn't turn into sort of the megalomania crazy person so much as he kind of gets sucked in by a power he doesn't really understand. So I like that aspect of it. I don't think it was really that fleshed out, though, to, to be that. You know what I mean? Um, I don't know. I think it, it comes up a little later, um, after Akave, that, that ties into what I'm talking about there. It's, it's, it's reasonable if that, that's, it's entirely possible that's all my, my interpretation and seeing things that's not really there. But I appreciate that it wasn't just he puts on super thing and now controls everybody and that's all there is to it hmm mm. I'm, I'm not I wasn't convinced 100% for that Danny not convinced on this day in history something that's never happened before Danny skeptical about a plot point in a Halo piece of media I'm, tr- I'm trying to be overall positive here <laughs> I'm just saying oh shit yep shit yep so they have to refactor how everything's going to work out. And at this point, uh, the Securans pull out, uh, I guess it was Chekhov's um, nuclear device, in that previously they had mentioned that they had a decommissioned, or not decommissioned, but a non-weaponized Havoc uh, nuke, mm. uh, basically powering the entire city. And that comes up because they decide they're not going to nuke the foreigner thing because that probably won't work but they will use it as an EMP attack would be to AMP shielded. the vertex. Maybe one of the things they would have thought of. Yeah, it's it's kind of weird in that they say a nuke won't work but at the same time a nuke has worked in the past. But mostly it doesn't yeah. matter because they still end up nuking it anyhow. <laughs> we have to have explosions. It's hell. Yeah, I think the way that everything after Hikabave Hikabe getting blamed once feels a little superfluous is that they have the subplot of the Sharkoi are going to get off the planet. We have to prevent that. And so uh, 
uh, Kassan goes with the Spartans and they kind of have their bonding by combat moment because they surprise and kill uh, Thars because he's the only one with any ships left basically that the Sharkoi can get off of. But that's where the Sharkoi don't feel like a major threat because they are trapped on this planet. No, that's... Yeah... Well, that makes sense. It, in many ways, it actually feels like in the Jurassic Park novel by Michael Crichton, there's a whole subplot of how they have to get back and warn everybody because there are raptors on one of the ships oh, leading the ships. to the island. Yep, yep. And that's not really that important. And then after the book is concluded, there's this whole weird section where they decide to go into a raptor nest. And that is totally irrelevant to the wider plot of the book and it's pointless and in that way it kind of that's the vibes i got from this last i guess third of envoy and that it felt like it was going on weirdly in ways it didn't need to Mm -hmm. like it was appended to the story yeah they basically get hakabe back to uh he retreats back to the foreigner area where all the sharkoi came from and the Spartans and Kassan and Ellis and Melody all basically jump down there and EMP him, which works. And then, this is where it gets all ring of power on me, uh, Ellis uh, puts on the Vertex instead. And so that this is where we get the whole, like, she's kind of being controlled by the Sharkoi because they don't want her to use the nuke as a nuke. Um, because what she does is basically gathers all the Sharkoi back into the foreigner installation, so when the nuke goes off, they'll all be eradicated, uh, and saving Sakura. And I think that was another part that I generally liked, because again, it wasn't just the classic, oh, well, the military guy has to stay behind to arm the nuke. It was a different take on it, even if it served the same functional purpose. Okay. Credit where credit is due, they avoided a very easy cliche. Yes. Well, they give props for that. And I appreciate that it also doesn't exactly come off as even a noble sacrifice in a way, because they make it clear that she's kind of emotionally compromised. Her planet has gotten wiped the floor with. Uh, there's no peace anymore. Her kid is dead, et cetera, et cetera. So it's kind of... In some ways, it's almost like a selfish way that she she decides that she's going to save uh, her planet and her people. It's not not really shown as not really represented as much as this this selfless sacrifice. Um, so I think that worked to its advantage too. She doesn't get like the the heroic redemption. Yeah. She ultimately just does this thing and. Well, it was good because it stopped the the threat, but it wasn't like she was trying to make some great moral statement. I'll I'll, I'll give it that for sure. <laughs> um, and then it's the wrap up. Everybody goes back to sort of status quo. Kassan's arc ends with him basically returning back to his uh, keep. And finding out that all of Thar's buddies have been killed, but somebody else has stepped into the power vacuum in the meantime. And it's, it's nice because there's sort of the implication, even though it's never directly stated, that you can like come back and try and be leader and die, or you can do what we kind of see as a demotion. You'll be the envoy for us to the humans. And the the character growth here is that he actually accepts it um he's no longer driven by revenge he's let the spartans go um and he's actually more willing than he was before to to listen to the entreaties of peace you usually don't have and it didn't come off as oh the humans are right in like oh i have to give up and abandon all my sensibilities as a sanghealy as the humans say um but more something genuine uh that still kept him the same character just having gone a sh- through a personal shift. Mm. Uh, mm. Mm-hmm. I'm not disagree. I, f- I want to disagree with you for the sake of disagreeing with you, but I don't. <laughs> that's fine. You can agree <laughs> with me. I'm I I am pretty amazing. That's right. Um, on the, on the, 
If I give you credit once, you know me, you're going wrong with it, so... Yeah. My head has already grown three sizes. The ego is massive. Sort of echoing the end of Cole Protocol, uh, great team is back together. They demand a prowler, because they're such rebels. They're going to go off do their own thing. Um, but that's okay. Uh, and unsurprisingly, the fact that they blew up a elite planet after the war doesn't have real consequences because it would be really stupid for Oni to admit it. So depending on your opinion, that might have been a good choice or a bad choice. And then randomly, Osman, uh, Saren Osman shows up at the end. And this was, I was not entirely sure what it was there for because it seems like really heavy foreshadowing, except it can't be about Halo 5 because this takes place basically... A month before Oni or anyone else seems to know anything about anything. Yeah, that's what I thought. I was like, what is this actually? I assumed the, the obvious surface reaction would be, oh yeah, it ties into the... No way, no it doesn't. Yeah, I mean, I guess you can say Oni knows about it slightly before everyone else, but that seems like a cheat. Doesn't seem like it goes with Hunt the Truth. Doesn't seem like it goes with Osman getting blindsided. Uh by the end of um, Rossbox World uh, in Fractures. So I'm not entirely sure what that was about. I haven't seen any particularly good theories online. Oh, I, I, bet, I bet you it will be explained in the sequel in seven years' time. Uh. <laughs> well, yes. It, the good or bad thing, whether you like Grey Team or not, is chances are we won't see them for a while. <laughs> well, what are the chances, right? It's a MacGuffin. It's going to destroy the universe. Only a great team can save it, and it'll have no lasting impact on the rest of the Halo universe. Huh? Possibly. Possibly. <laughs> Sorry, I know it's, it's, it's awfully cynical, but that's, that's probably what's going to happen. Well, so you're saying that, was, I think, summarizing, you felt that it was kind of mediocre overall, just like by the numbers. Yeah, I wasn't. I wasn't inspired. You know, I finished the book. I was like, well... That was a book. You know, I mean, some books make you want to think about it and they leave an impression, and it's like, oh, that was interesting. Or, you know, I mean, this book was like, yeah, damn it. Okay. Yeah. I suppose, I mean, once again, I have to go back and reread Cold Protocol. Um, but I thought this was, this fit into the good, um, if not great, bracket for me of Halo novels. I think, really, it was just let down. But not great. I, 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 could, I could maybe support that. I, I definitely think it just doesn't... It has an intriguing promise, and then it kind of just falls apart a little for the last third or quarter yeah, of the book. Yeah, whenever it gets to the whole uh, MacGuffin stuff, just it, it falls apart. I stopped caring. Yeah, that was definitely... It's nice to have the Sharkoi back, and it would be really cool to have them as an enemy again, because I think they're... They're pretty cool. Oh, you know what we want. Wise. Like, all these books are inconsequential to the games anyway. They introduce all these wonderful concepts, and they just piss them away whenever the next game comes out, because the game is designed with a complete little bubble to what happens in the rest of the universe. They don't care. You won't have them as enemies. You know they won't have them as enemies. This will have nothing to do with it. Oh, crap, I'm too cynical. Um <laughs> This has been Denny's Salt Mine. Thanks for listening. I tried. I tried to be nice. It's held in too much. Um, no one, no one expects, no one expects anything different from you, Danny. Just playing to type. It's sometimes I'm right. Okay. Sometimes, <laughs> sometimes Danny's right. That's true. It's possible, folks. You heard it here. Well, Don't we'll take on. odds. Um, guess uh, random little things. Just little notes I had written down. Um, we get our, our requisite Halo War 2's tie-in, because um, Jackrabbits play a part in the finale, as do uh, Nightingales. Really? Um, I know, I know, you're right, actually. I, yeah, I they, they do their, their stunt bike thing with the EMP, uh, and then a Gosshog also shows up. Um, but Yeah, yeah Jack I Rabbit completely shows. blanked that when I was reading. I remember the Nightingales. Um, they, the... Sangheili repeatedly referred to Grey Team as the Demons 3 uh, in this book, which makes sense yeah. given we know that they're demon, they're called demons, uh, but it also really just sounded like a bad metal band to me, and I hated every time it came up. 
good. Uh, uh, mm. So I was, I was iffy on that. Um, I think you. I, th- <clears throat> I think you just retroactively made that better for me. By the way, <laughs> just demons three. Guitar riff. I can support that. Um. Yeah, but overall, I liked it. Danny less liking it. Um. I do hope. I think. To its credit, I think you're right that a lot of this obviously is not going to show up in the main games just because there's so many plot threads that can show up in the games. Anyhow, uh, mm-hmm. this is not anywhere near the more primary ones. Um, but I think to its credit, I wouldn't mind having some of this stuff come up again, even if it's just mentions sometime later on of what's going on on Karo or just some of these characters reappear. Give one thing to the credits uh, for 343 is that they, they do go back and pick up plot points and plot threads. They do. It's it's actually very endearing to know that even your wee minor story could be relevant even and remembered. Even your forgotten cut Halo 2 cinematic yeah. might actually come back. Um, yeah. yeah that, that, that genuinely makes me really, really happy, actually. Just there's fans of all different aspects of this franchise at this point people like different things and there's so much to like and it's nice to know that yeah your thing that you love that that actually might get some attention again okay well that about wraps it up uh for this shorter episode uh since we last had a podcast we've actually had a couple uh new articles and videos come out uh on our youtube and uh our main page uh, there's a halo wars uh two story review among other things you can check that out at forward onto dawn.com our youtube and twitter handles are forward dawn Uh, we'll have more content coming out soon thanks for listening and see you next time